Hey there, and welcome to the When's My Time podcast. I'm Ozzy Eyre, founder of whensmytime.com. Well, it's the second podcast episode today. Uh, it's, by the way, it's I didn't give a, a date on the previous one. It's 22nd of August 2017, Tuesday 22nd of August 2017. And I usually give a bit of a, a weather update, don't I? Uh, my part of the world, a little bit grey and overcast, but we have been promised a dry day today. There's been quite a bit of rain around uh, over the past few days. Now, in that last episode, I was telling you about some of the challenges that I'd met and why it'd been quite a while since I recorded the last of these podcasts, because I'd had my head buried in in the project that I was uh, working on. Now, it is important, though, it is important, though, to take a break every now and then, because you can get stale, you can get too focused on things. And last weekend, uh, the weekend just gone, so two, three days ago, um, was such a break for myself and Carol. I have an aunt. And you're probably thinking, at your age, you've still got an aunt alive? Yes, I have still got an aunt alive. Uh, She's a wonderful woman. Um, Lives up in the um, Midlands, in in the UK Midlands, in Derbyshire, in the town that I was born. And uh, she'll be, I think, 92 in January. But she is sharp as a tack. She really is. Um, much more quick-witted than, than I am. Uh, much cleverer and much smarter and much, uh, much funnier than I am. It's just basically her, her mobility is letting her down now. But she is a wonderful woman, my, my Aunt Edna. And so it was with absolute pleasure that Carol and I on Saturday drove up to, to see my aunt. Now, here's the thing that you need to know about my aunt. Don't tell her when you're going to arrive, because she will hold you to that. She, Although she's sharp as a tack, she has, because of her age and because she doesn't get in, she's no concept of modern traffic hold-ups and that sort of stuff. So if you say you're going to be there on midday, plan to be there at 10 o'clock, because if there's a two-hour hold-up, you know, she'll want to know why you're late. So consequently, on Friday, on Friday of last week, I, I phoned my aunt and just had a general chat with her and started fishing to find out whether she'd be around this weekend and she told me no she had no plan she was wasn't going out anywhere and mobility is as i say an issue for her so she's very much reliant on other people to get her get her around so she told me no no she wasn't now at this stage i did not say anything uh we were going to surprise edna because of this thing, that if I told her I was going to be there at a time and we weren't there at a time, she'd, she'd give us a third degree on why we weren't. So I we decided that no, we'll we'll and, and I'm talking it's, it's around about a couple of almost a two hundred mile drive. Now we weren't just going for that. Now, I'll, I will explain in a minute, and I'll also explain why my voice is pretty croaky today and uh, and on that last podcast. So we we drove up. Unfortunately, it was great that I hadn't mentioned to Edna that we were going because, as often happens in on the roads in the UK, there were holdups, and what were, what is normally about a three three and a half hour journey turned into a five five and a half hour journey. So we got there um, sort of mid to late afternoon, and surprised her. Now it's actually fortunate that we uh, we were late because, unbeknown to Edna, uh, on Friday she was going to be out on Saturday because a neighbour, in fact it was my late mother's 
neighbour who uh, lives in a village two or three miles away had called Edna in the morning and said, do you want to go to the shops? And she'd taken Edna shoe shopping. And they'd literally just got back when we turned up. Uh, they'd sent about five minutes before. So had we been on time, we'd have arrived and Edna wouldn't have been there. And Edna is of a generation that doesn't have a mobile phone, so I wouldn't have been able to contact her. You get the drift. So we had a wonderful afternoon with Edna and reminiscing, as she often does. And she reminded me, she reminded me of the fact that she had taken me to see, when I was a very little boy, when I was about six years old, um, Mary Poppins at the cinema in the local town. Cinema that's long since closed, but uh, we were talking about that. Now, in the same year, this that was, I think, in 1964. Could have been 1963, but I, I was thinking back to the same year, 1964, uh, when it was the Tokyo Olympics. Now, I'm sure that most people listening to this are far too young to remember the Tokyo Olympics, but the Tokyo Olympics had a very special um, effect on me because it was the first Olympic. I was six, and I can remember watching grainy black and white TV images of the British athletes out there and one particular athlete one particular athlete, a gentleman by the name of Lynn Davis, who in the most appalling weather conditions won the gold in long jump. And I just watched this. I was I was just amazed, amazed by how far these guys were jumping and that Lynn Davis had won. And I asked my mother how far he, you know, what what's that like jumping? And, and she, we, we had a rather... We only had the one main room in our house, but it was quite a long room. Uh, it was 20-odd feet long. And she said, well, he's actually jumped further than the length of this room. And I couldn't believe that anybody could do that. I, I literally couldn't believe anybody could do that. But I wanted to do that. I wanted to do that so much. And so I went out into the garden. And in our garden, there was a... a a pathway made up of concrete slabs. And these concrete slabs were three feet in length, just under a metre in length. And so I started running along the path and trying to jump, clear them. So I could, first I could clear one paving slab and then I could clear two paving slabs and eventually I could clear three paving slabs. You, you get the drift. And that's what I did. And I was... I was quite a shy kid. I didn't have a massive group of friends. I didn't get on. And I'm still very shy. And again, we'll come back to that in a moment. I'm still very shy. But I would do this. I would practice endlessly running up and down and trying to get longer and longer and longer. And eventually I'd get somebody, uh, I was a shy shy kid. There was a a young girl called Lynn who was a a near neighbour. She wasn't exactly a next door neighbour, but a near neighbour. She'd sometimes come around to play. So I'd get her to make chalk marks as to where I'd landed and we, you know, so we could see the the progression. And this went on and on and on until I went to the the local grammar school where, guess what? They had a real long jump pit. So instead of landing on hard concrete, I was landing on relatively soft sand. It wasn't the best sand, but I was landing on relatively soft sand. And not only that, I'd got a a proper run up and a board to take off from. And I I could start doing it properly. I'd I'd fallen in love with 
with, with the long jump. I mean, this was sealed. I mean, Lynn Davis was the seed of all this. He was what started me all this. But then when I saw in 1968 Bob Beeman jump further than any man had ever jumped before and by a long way but i mean he, he go, go back go, go search on youtube you can find videos of linda you know, probably can hear my dog jack barking in the background i don't know if the mic's sensitive enough to pick this up but um sorry to break off like that but carol's about to take him on his walk and he gets quite excited about it but um you can go find on YouTube uh, videos of Lynn Davis in 1964, and you will see the horrible, horrible, horrible conditions that he was jumping in. And you can also find Bob Beeman in 1968 just smashing the world record out of sight. Now, those two things enthuse me beyond beyond measure. So, by the time I got to the grammar school, a year later, it was 69, I, I, and I saw that they'd got this long jump pit. I, I was just beside myself with glee at this. I mean, I was so excited by this. But here's the thing. When we started school, because here in the school year starts in September, we were now not in the athletic season. The athletic season had gone. The cricket season had gone. The summer sports season had gone. We were now into the winter sports of uh, football, what you might call soccer, uh, uh, rugby, and of hockey. So we had those winter sports to focus on. So I'd got probably six, seven, eight months to wait until I could get into this long jump pit. But then when I did, it was like coming home. It really was. And needless to say, I went on to become reasonably good for my age. For my age. I mean, this all stopped after school. But uh, for my age, I, I became reasonably good at this. In fact, I set school records and represented the school at long jump not with any major success outside the school but within the school i was i was pretty good but the fact that i wasn't that good doesn't matter it was the fact that i'd fallen in love with long jump now that all started the year you're probably thinking why is he telling me all that that all started in 1964 that love affair with long jump started in 1964 when i saw lynn davis on grainy black and white tv footage out there in Tokyo. I mean, it, I was going to say it could have been the other side of the world. It literally was the other side of the world, wasn't it? Now, we visited Edna, as I say, at the weekend, and um, she'd reminded me of Mary Poppins, and I'd got to thinking about that, and I'd got to think, be thinking about being that age and the things that were important to me back then, one of which was the long jump. I said we'd also got other motives for, for going up there uh, this weekend. Well... We had booked tickets to the athletics meet, the track and field meet, on the following day, on the Sunday, in Birmingham. And that's Birmingham in the UK, not Birmingham, Alabama. And it was a Diamond League meeting. Now, if, you, if you're not familiar with athletics, forgive me, but I'm speaking as a fanboy here. We had booked these tickets specifically because it was Mo Farah's last race. So Mohamed Farah is last track race in the UK before hanging up his spikes and, and moving on to road racing. Now I think I may have spoken about Mo Farah before, but if if not, I mean he is just such an inspirational figure to me. Back in two thousand and eight he had um a nightmare time at the Olympics in Beijing. Came pretty much nowhere and he took himself away and 
thought long and hard about his career and decided, no, this is what I want to do, and therefore, if it's what I really want to do, I need to make sacrifices. Do you remember in that last that last episode, I was talking about doing today what others won't do, so that tomorrow you can do what others can't do. Mo did that in a big way, in a big way, and so came back in 2012. He came back before in the worlds, but came back in 2012, and you'll, if you follow athletics at all, you'll know that he won double gold there. Uh, in the 5,000 and 10,000 metres, and then again in Rio, 5,000 and 10,000 metres. It's just amazing what this this man has achieved. And so he is a real hero, and I've been fortunate enough to see Mo race a couple of times before in the flesh, Uh, but it was important to Carol and to me that we went to see him in his last race here and, um, and say thank you in a way say thank you for, for the memories that he's given us so we actually met up with carol's brother and his family uh, his wife and kids and we had a lovely lovely day out they in fact we after after i bought the tickets i said carol invite john and carrie and megan and jack and get them to come tell them where we're sitting because there are still those tickets uh, available and so she quickly texted John and he got on there and he bought the tickets alongside us. So we were, the six of us were sat in a row, which was fantastic. A great day. So we met John and Kerry up beforehand and at these things, there tend to be activities before the meet starts. So we met and Jack is very sporty. So he was take, taking part in all the activities and we were mingling around. And this was all in the hour or two before the, the event actually started. So we started to walk over to the stadium to go in and I became separated from the guys and it was quite a crowd quite a mingling crowd and then I saw I saw somebody in the crowd that I was sure I recognized I was sure I recognized this guy and he was walking purposefully over to the 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 entrance for the VIPs and as I say I'm shy I'm retiring I I, you know I (laughs) it's not like me but I thought this is my one chance. This is my one chance. And I'm not going to blow this. So I sort of, not quite push through the crowd, but ease my way through the crowd. And shouted, excuse me, excuse me, is it Mr. Davis? And he said, yes. And it was. It was Lynn Davis. My hero from 1964. And the guy, he's 75 now. You'd swear he was only 50 fit, bronzed, and everybody's idea of what a hero should look like, or at least my idea of what a hero should look like. And um, he was very gracious, and he listened to me tell the story that I've just told you about watching him in Tokyo, and then going out and jumping over the paving slabs in the garden, and measuring out my, you know, the jumps and measuring my progress. And then going on to school to break records and that sort of stuff. He listened very patiently to all of this and thanked me for sharing the the story. And then he said, oh, by the way, this is David Moorcroft. (laughs) Now, in my excitement, I'd I'd interrupted his conversation, which is, again, is totally unlike me. But I had to say, excuse me. And he sort of indicated that he was prepared to, to listen to me. Now, if you don't know who David Moorcroft was, he is... Well, he's the ex-world record holder at 5,000 metres and the British, ex-British record holder until Mo Farah beat it last year at 3,000 metres. And I had, I'd been so 
excited to see Lynn Davis, I totally missed that I was in the presence of not just one athletics great, but two. So I apologise profusely to, to Mr. Moorcroft, to David Moorcroft. And he was gracious enough to accept my apology. And he could see that it was not down to, and it was not any disrespect to him, but it was just my sheer excitement that had been brewing up for over 50 years in meeting my hero. Now, whoever said never meet your heroes was talking nonsense. I met mine this weekend and it did not disappoint. What a wonderful guy. What a wonderful guy and what a fantastic experience. Now, I was so excited. I mean, I, I described it the other day. Uh, I was talking to a friend of mine. I was saying, look, I was like a 12-year-old girl meeting Justin Bieber or whoever the current equivalent is. And it was like my heart was pounding. My hands were shaking. I have never been like that about meeting anybody. I, it, was, it was a new experience for me. And I've, I've met some pretty important people. I've never been like that. But I was so excited. I was just like a kid. And both Lynn Davis and David Moorcroft were gracious enough to recognise that. In fact, I was so excited. Get this. I forgot to even ask for a photo with them. So all I've got is my memory. But that's the important bit. I've got nothing to show to prove that I actually met and shook the hands of Lynn Davis and David Moorcroft. But it doesn't matter because I know I did. I can still feel the imprint of their hand on mine. And uh, it was just wonderful. Now, I mentioned that my voice was a little bit croaky. Well, why is that? It's because I was shouting Mo home. We watched Mo finish the day. It was the final event of the day, the 3,000 metres. And Mo Farah did not disappoint. We called him all the way home. We screamed for him to win. And he did. And did he ever do it in style? He gave us... He gave us the, the, the curtain call to his career that we all wanted. I mean, had there been a roof on the stadium, it would have been blown away. It was just the most wonderful, wonderful weekend. So, I thought I'd share that with you. It is important. It is important to take a break. And when you take a break like that, boy, do you feel like uh, the batteries have been recharged for for so much more to come. So much more to come. Now, at the risk of sounding cheesy, there, there, there's there's an elbow song, isn't there? Uh, One day like this, go listen to it, and that's exactly how it feels at the moment. One day like this, a year will see me right. Meeting Lynn Davis, meeting David Moorcraft, seeing Mo run, like we know only Mo can run, and seeing my aunt Edna. It was just such a wonderful, wonderful weekend, and I now. Having gone through a month of challenges, I've got my batteries totally recharged. My throat's a little bit croaky for shouting for Mo, <laughs> and it was even worse yesterday and the day before. But my throat's a little bit croaky, but that's a price worth paying for a weekend such as I've just had. Anyway, thank you so much indeed for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this. If you have, don't forget to tell your friends and subscribe. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes. And while you're there, leave me a review and leave me a bunch of stars because that helps this podcast rise in the rankings and it helps it get found by more and more people. People just like you. Oh, and if you want to get in touch with me, you can do that. You can email me, Aussie, that's O-double-Z-Y or O-double-Z-Y, Aussie at whensmytime.com. Aussie at whensmytime.com. 
All those emails come direct to me and they're not filtered by any assistant or anything of that sort. I see all the emails that come to me and I, re- I tend to respond to them all as well. I can't absolutely promise that I'll respond to them all, but I tend to respond to them all. Um, so thank you very much indeed again for listening. I really do appreciate you choosing to spend your time with me. I've been Aussie Air, founder of whensmytime.com and I'm here to tell you, your time is now. <laughs> <laughs>